Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. Thanks for joining us today for an inspiring message from our West location. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. So good. Who's excited for that? We're, we're a few months out now, but it's going to sneak up super quick as life seems to. We're in February already, guys. Isn't that, to me, it's insane. But that's going to be such a great opportunity. So make sure you jump online and, and sign on up to that. And, um, and yeah, we're, we're in, in for a treat having Pastor Phil and, and the Leadership Day and all the other things around that. So don't miss out. My name's Stephen Flight. My wife, Brittany, and I are the location pastors of C3 East Village. Yeah, that's our, our downtown location. We're two churches, oh, sorry, one church, two locations. We have the west side here, and we've got our uh, East Village campus. We meet on a Sunday evening, 6 p.m., and, uh, and it's our great privilege to get to oversee that. And we've been coming uh, here to C3 Calgary for, for six years now. Well, really, I've been coming six years um, Brittany was a part of the original church planting team uh, as the daughter of Pastor Lorna and Kelly. And uh, 25 years this church has been going and ministry here in Calgary has been taking place. And so Brittany was um, by default as a four-year-old or three-year-old recruited into that. And then, uh, you know, the, the seeds were sown because she ended up planting C3 East Village as well. So there you go, reaping and sowing. It's a beautiful thing. Who loves having Caleb and Melody service leading? I know, I love it so much, and when we first moved um, to Calgary and back to, back to Calgary, we, we moved to Cochrane, and we were in their um, small group, and they're amazing group leaders at our church, and very open, open their homes up to us, and I, I just felt, over you guys, when you're on the stage here, uh, I, I saw a picture of two watches, one was God and one was yours, and, and what I noticed about that is they were in sync. And so I believe, I don't know if there's been times where you felt like you're out, like in front of God's timing or behind it, but you're in sync with God's timing. And I just saw these two words um, planted across you, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready. So I don't know what that's about, but take that. And we love you guys and, and thank you for your, your friendship and, and being a part of it. So I really did feel that, that picture there and wanted to share that. You guys are awesome and we love you. You're, you're pillars in the house here. You are. You're, you're not off to the side. You are pillars at C3 Calgary West. So thank you for everything you do. Um, okay, I had to get that out. Now I feel good. I can loosen up a bit here. And, and uh, I'm excited to be talking about relationships today. And we kicked this series off last week um, with Marion and Tyler were sharing. And they were talking about uh, the principles of, of seed sowing and sowing and reaping. What we sow into our relationships is what we... Um, what we'll reap out of them amongst other stuff. And they were just an amazing, they did a great job. Their chemistry together is awesome. they such a pleasant, wise, mature couple there. And during it, I leaned over to Brittany and was kind of like, do you think that we could, maybe we work really well together? And she just looked at me and laughed. She, I, I think she thinks maybe that I, I'm not as easy to work with as they seem to get it. But I'm telling you, Brett, one day we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. Actually, at the mar marriage retreat coming up, we're taking one of the sessions. So there you go. You have to do it. But they did an amazing job um, uh, kicking off. It's, it's complicated. And I want to continue that to today. The, the title of the message today is, I'll just put it out there now for you. So rather than in a couple minutes, you start squirming. You can start squirming right now. It's God's blueprint 
for romantic relationships. Yeah, woo! Valentine's Day is coming up this week, you know, I, I thought it'd be good. And, uh, but I believe God has a blueprint for romantic relationships. Sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes we don't know. And I'm not just talking to married people today. I'm talking to single people. I'm talking to divorced people. I am talking to married people. I, I'm talking to those who have been married a long time, those who, who haven't been married. Romantic relationships, this, this idea of, of these areas affects every single one of us. And God has a plan for it. Um, but the world also has a different plan, a different idea. The enemy has a different plan and idea and wants to steal this area from the life. But, but we know that Jesus has won every victory on the cross. And so we can actually find out and, and live in God's blueprint for romantic relationships. So I'm excited to bring the message around that. And, and today I want to look at a few First up, I want to start with a few myths, I think, around this area that I've seen in, in the last couple years of pastoring and in the 18 years of being a Christian in my own life, um, areas and ideas that we need to reject in this area that are stealing destiny and fullness and fulfillment that God has for us, but we start to believe these lies. So I'll, I'll start off with a few of those. I want to paint the, uh, God's blueprint, the, the original picture for this area of our life have a look at the current climate in our culture and, and maybe in our own lives. But then, most importantly, look at what Jesus brings to the table. What he brings into the fallen, complicated state that we find ourselves in. So I'm excited and, and, uh, and ready for it. I'm not trying to be a referee in anyone's romantic life today. I can assure you that. It's a, it's a trouble enough in my own life trying to keep a hold of the game that's going on there. But, you know, I don't want to be a referee. My encouragement is to... Um, to for our, our hands to be put in the hands of God and our partner or our marriage or whatever situation we're in and let him be the referee because whenever he sets a boundary, whenever he has guidance for us, it's actually for our good. It's not to restrict us, it's to free us. Always, absolutely, that is God's plan. So I believe anytime we approach God's blueprint, we can see it as something that restricts us and that's not the truth or it's something that frees us. It's something that is to care for us. That's, that's the father that I know. That's what I believe um, God has for us today. And uh, so we're talking about lovey-dovey stuff as we go into Valentine's Day. But you know, love, that word that we use can have a bunch of different meanings, right? Like we say love, but it, in the context, it'll mean different things. I can say, I love my wife with all my heart. I, I love her personality. I love her humor. I love how um, we, we work together, and I love how we sharpen each other. I, I've loved getting to do life for the last eight years um, with her. And then I can say that same word. I can say, oh, I, I love your shoes today, right? It's, it's love. I love tacos. I love Taco Tuesday, Wings Wednesday. I love these things. I love them. I love your hair today. You got your hair done. Well done. That looks awesome over there. But we get that the context of what we're using that word, the, the word love has very different meanings, right? Many different connotations. And, um, but at the overuse of that word in, in our language waters it down, I believe. The, the ancient Greeks had a different perspective of love. They realized that there was um, different kinds of love, different types of love. And through the New Testament, this is where our, uh, we get our translations from. And the Old Testament was originally in Hebrew and Aramaic, but even most of our translations we might have on our, our phone or on our lap there in front of us come from a Greek translation, and, and they had primarily four words that they would use to speak of love. 
Do you want to hear about them? Yeah, good, good. You guys might have heard some of this. So here, here are the primary. There, there was more, but the four ones that we see through the Word of God, the Greek would use the word storge or storg love. And this was the love that would speak of kinsfolk, of, of family, of familiar, of, you know, that family connection, that love that you have, that um, whether it's a, a community of people, a tribe of people, maybe different cultures, a, a family of people, there was, there's a, a storge love that you have for them, um, that just by default of being a part of a, a family or, or kinsfolk with them. The second type was philo or philo, and this was a type of love that signifies a spontaneous natural affection with more feeling than reason. Strong's exhaustive concordance defines it as to be a friend to, fond of an individual or object, um, having affection for, a matter of sentiment or feeling. So philo is affectionate love. We're not talking necessarily romantic here, but you know, that, that love that you have for a friend or a puppy dog or whatever it might be, that, that affectionate love that logically it's not what it's about, it's actually a spontaneous feeling that comes up. That's affectionate love. The third type, um, many of us would have heard this word. I hope we know it. It's agape love. Agape love. And this love, the, the Greek word they use to describe a love that it, it means um, a love that's undeserved despite disappointment and rejection. It's about a love for someone unmerited. This is the love that God has for all of us unmerited. We don't deserve it. We sang those words that we don't deserve it. But God's love, agape love for each one of us, despite where you've been going, despite where we've been running, despite where we've turned to, God has an agape love for us here today. The amazing thing is this is the word that appears most frequently in the New Testament, and it's the love that we're meant to have for each other and those around us. Because of God's agape love for us, we can have agape love for other people despite the hurts, the awkwardness, the complications that it might bring in our life. That's the third kind, agape love. And the fourth kind is eros love. Eros. That's the, the same, uh, that's where we get our, the word in our language, erotic love from. Hey. And it, it speaks of a, um, a, a sexual love. It speaks of that chemical reaction that takes place, of that, you know, that, that spark in the eye, the, the eros love. Um, the, you know, we, we see it all around us, the, the mythical gods of love and things like that that come from this eros. And it's not directly mentioned in the New Testament, but it's alluded to. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the Bible has a lot to say about eros love. And in, in fact, I think it's one of the major areas in life the enemy tries to steal people's destiny is through that, that eros love that would come upon somebody. So that's the four types, and we're going to look at that because, um, because God has a lot to say about it, and I'm excited about bringing that blueprint He has. Some of the myths that we find in, in this area, um, before we jump into the blueprint, is what I want to look at. And maybe these will resonate with you today. I know they've resonated different areas of my life, because I want to look at these, because I believe there's a disproportionate amount of focus, time, and um, obsession in our culture, inside and outside of the church, no matter your worldview here today, that focuses on finding that Mr. or Mrs. Right. Not flight, Mr. or Mrs. Right. Um, and, and it can become an obsession. 
It can become an addiction. And the nature of our culture, it can actually set us up for disappointment that gets directed at God rather than our false ideology around it. So one of the first myths in this area is when I find the one for me, then I will be complete. When I find the one for me, then I will be complete. Come on, we all may have experienced it in some way. And then you get married and life starts happening or you're dating and a situation comes up and you realize it's an unfair expectation to put on someone else that they would complete us. That's a burden and a weight that we're never meant to carry. But this is, this is sometimes what we believe. When I find the one for me, I'll be complete. And that's, that's a lie. You're setting yourself up for failure with that mindset. In Colossians 2, it says to it, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And you, can you say me? You have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. I love that. Complete in Christ, not complete in the arms of another person, not complete in an eros moment, not complete in a godly, healthy marriage. It says complete in Christ. We've got to reject the lie that someone will complete you. And single people here today, or, or maybe divorced people, widowed, anyone who finds himself outside of having that person currently, I want you to hear this. You are complete in Christ right now, right as you are. Not because you're not waiting to that next step to qualify in completion. No, you're complete in Christ right now. You're fully valued, fully loved. You have the same amount to offer anybody in the, in the body of Christ. Just because you're not married yet does not mean you're not complete. You are complete in Christ. Married, single, divorced, widowed, whoever it is, we're complete in Christ today. We got to accept that, speak that over us. The second one I, I see takes so many people off their calling and their trajectory with God is the ideology that dating or marriage is built upon falling in love. And because of that, if you fall out of love, it means you should give up on a relationship. That's a lie. That's a lie. Anyone here uh, fall in love at first sight when you first laid eyes on somebody? Yeah, right. that's the right answer, guys. And and for those who weren't lying for you, we're so happy for you. You make us, I'm throwing up a little bit in my stomach with that idea. But for you, that's a very good thing. That's a beautiful thing. It does happen. I, I know some people, but for many of us, it wasn't a simple moment. It was a development, a journey of relationship. Um, and I'm just kidding with you, whoever that was. Um, it's awesome that you guys are like that. But, but the fact is, we have wrong ideology around falling in love. And our culture presents the idea that, that you fall in love with somebody. And I've always thought if you can fall in love with somebody, then you're just going to fall out. But that's not the biblical picture that we get. Now, there's moments of eros spark. There's moments of falling in love. But it's not enough to sustain our relationships. And we actually need to function all those uh, other areas of love. Researchers have found um, many different papers have come out on, and you can find a, a lot of them on the uh, trusted uh, mechanism in the world today of finding these things. Google, Google will help you out here. Um, but say that, that those feelings of falling in love are a real feeling that we experience, but they're only enough to sustain a romantic relationship 
two, three, maybe maximum four years. After that, the relationship needs to be built upon something else for it to last. So many times we rely on the feeling of falling in love, but studies would show, and I believe the Word of God would show, that uh, it's not the full picture of God's romantic relationships for us. There's a fascinating story of um, Jacob in the Bible. We find it uh, around Genesis 29 and, and the preceding and after chapters of um, he ha has a, a falling of, in love moment where he uh, travels and spending some time um, in an area and he lays eyes on Rachel. Do we know this story? Yeah, and he, he falls in love with her. But we're going to see that he probably didn't just fall in love with her. Um, and the deals made between Rachel's father and, um, and, to, and, and Jacob that, um, well, you're going to have to work seven years and then I'll allow my daughter to marry you. Now, we know it's a different culture and a different time and, um, you know, different ideologies around that and God was tolerating attitudes to, towards certain things for a season, but it wasn't necessarily his full picture. So Jacob says, okay, seven years. That ain't no thing. I got that. I got that. And so he starts working. But imagine when he gets to that second year, that third year, that fourth year, and that falling in love feelings have started to, to go away. But what do we notice about Jacob? He continues to work beyond that. And then it gets to the wedding night. Awkward situation coming up. I coined a, a phrase here that turned into a series. Last time I spoke, um, embrace the awkward. And we just come out of a series about embracing the awkward at East Village. This is an awkward moment. Because on his honeymoon night, um, the, his bride's veiled, and, and they go to complete the marriage there and consummate the marriage, and he didn't realize it, but it's actually Rachel's sister, Leah. Yeah, awkward, awkward. You can just feel the awkwardness, and, and it's so easy in our setting to go, how could have that happened? But come on, guys, some of you were pretty nervous on your honeymoon night too. Like, you were fumbling around as well, but just saying. So it ends up, he wakes up, and he realizes he's quite concerned. He's like, this isn't the deal. Goes back to um, Rachel's father there and says, you tricked me, you deceived me. And he says, okay, look, here's the deal. For another seven years, you work for another seven years, and then you can marry her. So he gets to work. 14 years it takes him to be able to step into the relationship that he wants there. My point is that marriage is complicated. It says it up there. It's complicated. But... We could learn, some spouses in this place, some of us could learn from the work ethic of, of our, our friend here, Jacob, that, you know, just because we have a couple months of, of arguing or tension or fights or whatever, it's not enough to give up. 14 years he worked to step into the relationship. And even from then on, there's awkwardness, there's difficult situations. I'm just saying, I think we live in a society that gives up a little too quick. And we're too attached to the ideas of falling in love rather than choosing to love every day. The third thing is that, um, that physical touch, hookups, intimacy, uh, sex, anything like that between two people outside of marriage is just not that big a deal, and to treat it as such is just old-fashioned. That's a lie. That's a lie. The fact that the world, progressiveness, your friends around you, even other Christians, are maybe compromising on biblical convictions around these areas does not mean that you have to do that. You can live by your conviction, your belief, and your lifestyle that's dictated by the Word of God in a culture of compromise. You can do it. Many people have done it. 1 Corinthians 6, 
It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's a simple question if we're in Christ here today. It's a confronting one. Is what I'm doing or not doing with my body honoring God? That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, don't get murkied by all the lies of the world and the different, like, is what we're doing honoring God in this area? The fourth myth is that your romantic relationship or your sexuality equals your identity. That's a lie. That's a lie of this culture. And, you know, some people are going to go to to one particular area there, but I'm talking about finding our identity in anything, whether it's singleness, whether it's sexuality, whether it's marriage, whether it's another person, whether it's being um, widowed or divorced or complicated or whatever. We're all wrong in this area, often. We're not meant to find our identity in anything else but Christ, if we know Him. We're not, I'm not meant to find it in my marriage. I'm not meant to find it in pastoring. I'm not meant to find it in my job. I'm not meant to find it in my friendships. My identity can only be found in Christ. But we believe the lie that identity equals uh, relationship status or sexuality. And it's not the case. We're meant to find, whether you're married, single, whatever it is, the only place we can truly find our identities in Jesus Christ. That's all. I know, I know. It's complicated. That's why we're looking at this series. But I believe the enemy has enslaved and wants to enslave us to a messed up idea of of God's design for love and romantic relationships. So the good news is we can bring Jesus into that area of our life and find hope and freedom and restoration and a different way. And so we're going to look at that here soon. This is important. This is an important area of our life, and particularly around this eros love. You know, in Genesis 39, we see Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and Joseph's been sold into slavery, and he finds himself in a situation where he's presented with an eros moment, where uh, he's propositioned to to sleep with um, someone, and he flees from that. He takes control of an eros moment, and and it helps launch him and continue to launch him into his destiny and a greater life. On the other hand, in Judges, we see Samson, who cannot get control of an eros feeling and moment, and we see it be the downfall of him, the downfall of living out the fullness of God's destiny, and something that doesn't just um, bring oppression to him, but brings it to his people as well. This is important. So God's original intention. Let's look at that for a few minutes, look at the fall, and then look at what Jesus brings to it. So we find God's original blueprint for romantic relationships right there in Genesis, in the beginning, right in the act of creation. And so far, we find out that God's created, created the world. He's put the uh, trees, He's put the laws of, of gravity and, and all the principles that our world functions by. He's made animals, He's made night and day, and He's made um, the stars and moons. And did anyone see the full moon last night? It was, it was beautiful. Um, God's creation, He creates the world and he says it's good, it's good, and then he creates Adam. Adam speaks of, of mankind, and, and I believe Adam was a man, and he represents mankind. It's not that crazy to think of that. And, uh, 
but it's a mind-blowing thing. And, and it says Adam's walking in the garden. He doesn't just say Adam was good. It says it's very good. Creation, mankind is created very good. But Adam's alone. Like he's got God and he's got the animals. And what you do when you're alone, you walk around, you name animals, you name things. I don't know if you've ever had a lonely day and you start talking to things as well around you. Guilty. And you start, and so Adam's doing this, and God realizes it's not that good for him to be alone. So he um, puts Adam in, into a, a coma state and, and pulls his rib out, and out of Adam, out of my, mankind, is created a woman, Eve. And so we have man and, and woman created by God. And uh, in Genesis 2, so out of that act of creation, out of that whole system there that I condensed, it's, it says in Genesis 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is a beautiful picture of God's original intention for romantic relationships. It's God, it's man, it's woman walking in the garden together. Hand in hand, no shame. It speaks of being naked, yes, physically, but it speaks of a vulnerability and, and not afraid of having to hide from each other. Not afraid of having to um, conceal something that's taking place in the relationship. Because it's God, it's man and woman walking together. This is the blueprint. This is the picture. We see when the fall takes place, the, the first, first thing that Adam and Eve want to do is hide from God. They feel shame. But the original blueprint was man and woman and God walking in the garden. I love that picture. I love that picture of God's blueprint. And here in this, it's, it's fascinating because the Bible's made up of covenants between God and man. That, that's the story of the Old Testament. We live in the greatest covenant that Jesus Christ came to usher in, um, a covenant that's accessed through, through faith in Jesus alone, not through anything else. But the first covenant spoken of in the Bible is not between God and, and man. It's actually the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, an agreement that takes place. And I love that. That's how important it is. God establishes marriage as a covenant, not a contract. See, a covenant is based upon trust between two parties and, and, and um, out of a positive thing. A contract is out of distrust. We're going to put a contract in place in this relationship because I'm not sure if I can trust you to uphold your end of the bargain. A covenant's out of trust. A covenant is based on an unlimited responsibility for both parties to, to come to the table, for better or for worse, you know, when circumstances change, whereas a contract is based on a limited liability for each party. A covenant is not meant to be broken just if new circumstances are introduced, but a contract can be voided like that as soon as circumstances change. Marriage is a covenant, not a, not a contract. That's the original plan. So we see man, woman, in this comprehensive and, and permanent commitment, and uh, it's ordained by God. And, and we see that in the New Testament as well. In Ephesians 5, it, it paints a Paul speaking particularly to um, Christians and husbands and wives. And he says uh, in verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21. My battery just ran out, so that's good. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Um, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the context of this scripture that we're about to go into. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
that it goes on in the next verse. And this is a, a scripture that gets a lot of flack. And it's an accusation that I've talked to friends about, some of my friends who don't share my faith with me, of saying, see, can't you see the Bible's just misogynist? And it's been misused and it's been abused by misogynists. But we got to get the context right. In the context of submission to each other and reverence to Christ, we see that it says, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm going to need some help up here on the screen. Uh, submit to your husbands. Uh, and, uh, but we've got to get the context of that right. So wives, submit to your husbands. So submit it to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands. Three verses later in verse 25, it says, Husbands, lay down your life as Christ did for the church. That's the picture. See, we, we saw it originally painted in the, the garden of, of God and man and woman, but it's right there as well. In the context of a submission between man and woman and, and God, they're walking hand in hand in the garden. That's the relationship. That's the blueprint that God has for us. In our romantic relationships, whatever status you find yourself in, single, ready to mingle, single, not looking, married, post-marriage, unfortunately, if you found yourself in that situation, widowed, whatever it might be, God's blueprint doesn't change. A romantic relationship that's authorized by God is not just two parties. It's three. It's man, woman, and Christ, hand in hand, in the garden, walking together. My question to you is your current relationship status. It may be complicated on Facebook. It may be unknown or undefined. But are you able to honestly include God hand in hand with your relationship? Are you inviting Christ in to hold your hand and, and guide you in that area too? That's the original plan. Now I want to look at the, the current climate of culture and the, the fall because we find ourselves not in the garden. I don't know if anyone's realized that. Something took place and our lives are complicated. We find ourselves in messy situations and, 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 and not feeling necessarily like we're walking in the garden hand in hand with God anymore. Um, but... But I believe it's important to look at this and find out what does Jesus bring into the table. So the current climate of romantic relationships, I believe, is, an, is unhealthy regardless of your worldview here today. Nobody would say the culture has got it right. No one. I've, I've talked to people. I, I did a, a bit of a survey on dating on my Instagram this week and people from all walks of life um, you know, I contributed to that. I've talked to many people. You've talked to many people. A lot of people know this is complicated and something doesn't feel right about our worldview and perception of it. I uh, looked through the top 10 movies of the years in the area of romantic comedies and romantic dramas because we're talking about romantic relationships. It was, it was only for study reasons. It wasn't for personal reasons, I can assure you. Looked at romantic movies and the sad thing is the vast majority of them contain three things. Three topics they're built around. This is romance in the world's eyes and in many of our eyes. The first one was an affair taking place and the romantic result of that. The second one was a one-night stand and the implications of that. And the third one, can someone... Divorce. Yeah, divorce was built around a, a divorce taking place. And, and now that a, a, a person was on the other side of that or going through that, the implications of that. That's a sad presentation of God's idea of romantic relationships. We have a, a weird idea, a messed up idea, but we're trying to find fulfillment and figure it out in a complicated world. 
to add to this already messed up worldview is the availability uh, of, um, of pornographic images in our world today, and especially online. And statistics would say 92% of men under the age of um, 18 and about 60% of women have been exposed to pornographic images before the age of 18. The first, that's for many of us here as well, many of our experiences, our first picture and visual given of eros love was not from God's word, but it was a cheapened, made-to-profit, actors-on-a-screen, enemy-twisted idea of what eros love is. That does not help our relationship status and ideas around the world. This is an epidemic. This is a problem for us. If we don't talk about it in the church, I promise you it's getting talked about elsewhere. And so I understand that there's kids in here today, and I'd encourage you to, to talk to them. One of the areas in, in my world that I could have done was not to try and hide a taboo, taboo, sub, a taboo subject growing up, but actually to have godly conversations around it, appropriate, godly, Holy Spirit-led conversations around that. Don't be afraid of doing that, because I promise you the enemy's trying to steal it in other areas. Or this is the, the climate we find ourselves in. 50, over 50% of um, of Gen X and, and boomer generation uh, marriages have ended in divorces. And we're finding millennial and Gen Zs are starting to not get married as more thinking it's an outdated practice because of multiple reasons, but one of them is we just think it doesn't work because that's what we've seen. That's a lie, but that's what we've seen. It's not a great climate we're in. Many people have given up on the idea of um, one man and one woman and saving themselves to, to marriage, um, but you can, and you do. And, and, and statistics of studies have come out of the psychology, uh, psychology Family Journal around this area of people who are even taking an atheist worldview or uh, not the faith that we have. Um, they've done a study on relationships who were intimate before marriage and those, uh, those who weren't afterwards, uh, a study of 2,035 people uh, or couples, they found that those who had kept themselves pure until marriage in this area reported a 20% higher overall quality of that area of their life, um, over, 20%, over 25% more trust and steadiness in their relationship, and, and over, well over 25% of overall quality of relationships. Because this is God's principle. It's His Word. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's just the reality. And, and, and people are starting to agree that outside of the church. We found ourselves in a very complicated, messy, fallen world. But Jesus comes along. And this is the awesome part. And this is the important part I want you to hear today. Jesus comes along into our messy, romantic relationships. Our messed up ideas the things that have happened to us, whether chosen or not chosen, the things that, um, that we have adopted from the world, Jesus shows up, and what does he bring? He brings freedom. He brings, he brings fresh perspective. He brings a new way. He brings permission, instruction, and authority to live by a different standard than the world standard. Jesus brings this to the table. Uh, and, and I love it. Um, we see Jesus come into a situation, and, and, it's, and it's not that different to today. It's not that different. They, they had different access. They had different things. But the eros 
ideology around this area of eros love was very, very twisted and, and, and wicked. But Jesus knowingly comes into that situation to set the captives free. And I believe today there's some people who have felt captured in this area. You've felt imprisoned around this area. And Jesus wants to set you free today. So what is, let's look at a few things that Jesus brings. Jesus brings an elevating of the standard in this area. We find in, Ma- in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus makes the comment that if you look to even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, then you've already committed adultery within it. Within that, So he takes it from just being a physical thing and a, a, just something about external behavior to a mind and heart issue around this area. This is why it's important for us to guard and to protect and, and to nurture this area. Jesus elevates the standard in it. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is we know that he doesn't just elevate a standard to something if he isn't going to empower us and give us the grace and mercy and, and um, overcoming nature to succeed. We can actually succeed in this area. And where we fall, we can rest in the grace that he's forgiven us and washed over us. What else does he bring to the, bring to the table? Jesus brings us, gives us the ability to be in the well, but not of it. Jesus is praying for us in, in the book of Matthew. We see that he's um, praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for us. And, and to summarize his, his prayer in that area, he says, um, just as I've been in the well, but not of it, I'm sending them into the world, but to not be of it. That we sanctify them with the, the word of truth. As followers of Christ, as people, as Jesus' people, we're actually meant to have different values and we're meant to look a little bit different than the world around us. We have been given the ability to be in the world, but not of it. And the question we should always be asking ourselves is not about the people around us, but about ourselves. How much like the world am I actually looking at the moment? How much of my values are lining up exactly with the world's? How much of my behaviors are lining up? I have authority and power over my own life and my own life alone. And I think that there's some of us in the areas of relationships in the past we've experienced or currently realizing that this romantic relationship we may be in looks a lot like the world around us. But Jesus has come to have you, yes, in the world, but not of it. You are powerful. He's created you. He's given you the grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live a different life. And the third, third thing I think out of a whole bunch of stuff there is um, that Jesus actually brings freedom from shame and condemnation in this area. Absolute freedom. And so if you've been feeling any shame and condemnation in this area, I don't believe that's of Jesus because he comes to free us from those things. There's a story in the Bible of a woman caught in adultery. We find it in John. And um, it'll come up on the screen here behind me. And what's taken place here is uh, a, a woman and, and man who are in the act of adultery there. She's been ripped out of that and brought before Jesus by the religious people of the day. She's probably been beaten and dragged quite roughly along the way. Notice the mindset and culture of the day. It's the woman that's been brought. Where's the guy? We don't know if he's there with the people or whether he's scooted out of there. But the woman's brought before Jesus and they've said, look, by the law, look what she's done. She she's deserves shame in this area. She deserves condemnation. And we have the right to stone her, Jesus. What are you going to do with this one? What are you going to do here? And she's beaten and, and broken and shamed and, and probably naked, crying in this area. And Jesus patiently and gracefully 
bends down, starts writing in the sand, and, and then says to the, to the guys, the religious crowd of the day, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. What is Jesus doing here? He's giving permission to these guys that if you don't have sin, if you don't have something wrong in your life, probably even in this area of, of romantic relationships, I'm giving you full authority to cast the stone, to cast judgment, to bring shame, to bring condemnation. And what do we see? Everyone slowly drops their rocks, drops the stones, and they start to walk away. And I'd say if we were in the same situation, we would do the same because none of us here today are fully perfected in this area, fully perfected in different areas of our life. So it's just Jesus and the lady who's condemned and shamed standing there alone. And Jesus says to her, where, where are your condemners? The Passion Translation puts it like this, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. This is a beautiful picture for all of us here today. If we're feeling feelings of shame or condemnations, no one is condemning you today, not even Jesus. The one person who could condemn us is not condemning her. The one person that could condemn that woman is not condemning her. But what he says is, you're free from the shame, you're free from that, but go out and sin no more. You're free from the shame and condemnation, but I'm giving you the power to live a different life, to not be trapped in that cycle anymore of needing to find eros love uh, in, in, in unauthorized areas of our life. Friends, God has freedom here for us today in the areas that we've fallen short. So I want us to remember that when Jesus brings freedom, when Jesus brings a, 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 or brings a boundary, when God introduces a conviction into our heart, it's always for our betterment. It's always because He has greater plans for us. In closing today, my question for you is, to consider what is God's plan for your romantic relationships? What does he have? Not what the world has, but what does he have? The second thing, question I have is, what are you settling for currently? Are you settling for something that isn't God's original blueprint? Even in marriage, I know I was saying to Brittany during the week, so many times I believe uh, I, we, we are working on our marriage and love our marriage so much, but we're falling short of God's. If we could just see a glimpse of what God actually has, for us, we'd all be blown away. But are we settling for something else? And the third thing is, is what is God calling you into? Is He calling you to make a change today? Is He calling you to accept the forgiveness? Is He calling you to, to bring His guidance into it? Is He calling you as a couple? Maybe you've been trying too hard just hand in hand, and maybe you need to keep one hand, but put a hand in God's hand and, and invite God into the, into the garden to walk with you. Thank you for being here with me today. I want to offer an invitation for anyone who um, needs prayer in those areas of Eros love. Of Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.